All right, if you would, take your Bibles to John chapter 7 today. John chapter 7, we're now two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus, and the setting of John chapter 7 is the Feast of the Tabernacles. In verses 1 through 9, we saw the time before the feast when he talked with his brothers and they encouraged him or challenged him or pushed him to go up uh, to Jerusalem to the feast openly and put on a spectacle and, and he, uh, before the people there. And Jesus would not go openly because there were the Jews that sought to kill him. And he uh, even said to us it was not his time, um, referring to the time when he would, would die. In verse 10 and following, Jesus makes his way to the feast then secretly um, there, but ultimately he finds himself in the temple where he begins to teach and then has a debate over his works. And in John chapter 10, uh, or 7, excuse me, verse 10 through 24, Jesus deals with them um, according to their legalism. He says, you want to kill me because I healed a man on the Sabbath day. And he refers back to a few chapters ago when we find that he heals the man by the pool there um, and the man who was lame for some 30 years and Jesus heals this man and he tells him to rise up and walk and, and take his bed. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are upset because Jesus tells him to take up his bed, his role there and walk. And uh, they considered this carrying of this bed work. And so they, were, they said he was breaking the Sabbath day there and Jesus encouraged him to to do this, and so they were, they were all upset because they had created these special laws about the Sabbath, laws that God himself did not institute, but man created in their own thinking, in their own religion, and Jesus had went against them. And so he deals with them according to their, their, um, their legalism. He says, now listen, you're willing to circumcise somebody on the Sabbath day to keep the law which I created, which God created, but now you've created these other laws and I'm going against them and you're all upset. Don't, do, you not see, do you not see the issue? And let me reiterate today, there's a difference between man's religion and God's truth. And we see so often man create their religious ways and their religious activity and that is contrary to the word of God. And we must be very careful uh, in doing so. Now we move into verse 25 and we see that there are some local people that make their way to Jerusalem, some local people there uh, from the city of Jerusalem, and they begin to question who Jesus is. Now there's a lot of questions in this world um, that we face in our lives. Many people ask the question, how was the world created? What, what is the purpose of life and why are we here? And there's so many questions that we face, like in, our, face in our life, but the most important question that we will ever face is the question we come to here in John chapter 7. And the question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus. These people were looking for the Messiah. They were Jews of Judaism, and, and they were looking for the Christ. And Jesus now is claiming to be the Christ, being the Messiah that was sent from God. And we'll see today that everybody questioned who Jesus is. You'll see that many doubted, and you'll see that many others believed. And no doubt everybody in this room here today and everyone that hears this message will question who is Jesus. But the, prop, the, the, the question that I have for you is, when you come to understand who is Jesus, will you doubt or will you believe? 
Will you doubt or will you believe? Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, today that if there's somebody here that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, may today be the day in their life, Lord, that they understand who he is, the Savior that died for their sins, that offers the free gift of salvation. And may today they put their faith in Christ. And Father, for those that have accepted Christ as their Savior, may we truly live our lives as people who understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us in our life and, and what your expectations are for us today. And Lord, we thank you for the work that you're going to do in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's three things I want you to see from our passage that are going to help us understand uh, dealing somewhat with this question of who Jesus is. The first thing we see is confusion. There's confusion about who Jesus is. Look at uh, chapter 7 in verse 25. Um, we'll look at a few different verses here. Verse 25, it says, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Look with me at verse number 40, if you would. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Verse 45, then came the officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have ye, brought, why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, never man spake like this man. Then answered them and the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. So we see here off the bat, these people begin to question and there is great debate, but there's great confusion about who Jesus is. I want you to see and understand that their confusion, first of all, comes because of the religious leaders. If you look at verses 25 and 26, the people are confused because of their teaching. Well, you guys, these religious leaders are saying, this is not the Christ. And so they're confused because many people say that this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And listen, remember, Israel's been looking for Jesus. They've been looking for the Messiah, the, 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 the anointed one, the one that was going to come to deliver them. For centuries, they've been looking for the Christ. And now many have said, and Jesus himself is claiming to be the Christ. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are saying this is not the Christ. But here's where the confusion comes. Their teaching did not match up with their actions. They said to these leaders, okay, we're, we're confused because he is boldly proclaiming to be the Christ. And if he's not, then he's blasphemous. He is, he's blasphemous against God and against our holy scriptures. So then why are you not killing him? And that's where they're confused in. The, the teaching does not line up with their actions. Can I tell you today? People in our world are confused because of religious people. People in our society today are confused because of all of the religious institutions and religious activity going on in our world today. And many of them preach and teach and they say one thing, but their actions do not line up. Now, I'm not just talking about people that teach false religions. Listen, 
Um, you compare what Islam teaches compared to the Word of God, it, it's obviously false. You compare what Mormonism teaches compared to the Word of God, it won't take you very long to understand that what they teach is contrary to the Word of God, and it's not true. You go any religion that you want, and you compare their teachings with the Scriptures and what they teach about Jesus and the Messiah and salvation, it doesn't take very long to figure out that they're wrong. Where the biggest confusion comes in our society Society today is people that sit in churches just like ours. They claim to believe the gospel. They claim to have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They, came, they claim to love God, love his word, but everything about their life is totally contrary to what they say. It's one of the problems we have with our homes today. Parents that say one thing but live a different way. See, our actions don't line up with our teachings, so there's great confusion in our world today. We, we say one thing, but we live a different way. We say one thing, but we justify not living according to what we say. We, we hear preaching and teaching, and we justify not applying the teaching to our life. You know, just a, just a few instances. We say that, you know, and, and this is the, the, the words that we like to use in the world today. You know, God is love and God loves everybody. And because God loves us, we should love everybody else. But then we're just mean-spirited and we're obnoxious people and, and we're rude people. We say that we're to be kind, tender-hearted one towards another. And, and we preach those verses and we hear sermons about them, but yet our actions show something totally different. We talk about being moral and righteous and holy, and then, and then we go out and we live immoral and ungodly lifestyles, and, and we joke about ungodly things, and, and, we, and everything about our actions and our words say something totally different than what we preach. It's tragic that so many people are confused today in our society about who Jesus is and about what is true based on our life. And you say, listen, it's not fair. It's not right. I mean, they shouldn't be judging me, but the obvious reality is they are. They are judging you. And I've had preachers tell me, and I've heard it many times in my life, you might be the only Bible that people see. You might be the only way that people see Jesus. And we confuse them because we say one thing and when we, then we do something else. Hey, listen, if you believe the Bible, live according to the Bible. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you believe this is his word and this is God's expectation for our life, then take that truth, apply it to your life, and then live it out. Quit confusing people in your life. Quit confusing them about who Jesus is. We see here in John chapter 7, there was great confusion about Jesus. And in verses 40 and following, they're, they're, they're arguing with the religious leaders. And, and, and they're saying, wait a minute, what, why haven't you killed them? And what's going on here? And you're saying one thing and another. And, and listen, if this is not the Messiah, they should have killed him. They should have, they should have followed through with what they say they believed. And the, the opposite of that is true for us. We should follow through. Listen, we're people that believe in Jesus and we believe the word of God and we believe the gospel and we believe we're saved by grace. And, and so we need to make sure that our life, our life exhibits it. I had a guy tell me in the first church, I pastored there in Virginia, you know, some of the hardest people to get along with in the world are Christians. Isn't that tragic? Some of the meanest people in the world are, are Christians, and some of the most judgmental people in the world are, are Christians, and, and that shouldn't be true. That shouldn't be true of our life. 
But you know, probably one of the greatest areas of confusion is, is we say that we believe this, we say that it impacts people's eternity, we say that people need to get saved, and yet we don't proclaim it. Well, wait, well, wait a minute, you, if you truly believe this, we live in a day and age where people are in uproar over the teachings of the philosophies of our public school, and, and they're trying to get a hold of our kids and try to indoctrinate them and, and all that. And you know what? When you see the, the left or the liberals or whatever terminology you want to use to label them, you know what? They're passionate about what they're trying to do, aren't they? They're, they're, they're passionate about trying to, 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 to gain control of the youth of our country. And, and they truly believe that, that they can influence them and impact them and, and change the world for their, their paganism and their pagan philosophies and, and to pull people away from the church. And they're doing everything they can. They're, they're fighting it. And listen, everything about them, everything about them lines up with what they believe. Would that we had Christians that were that passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, oh, I believe in God and I believe he's the way to eternal salvation through Jesus Christ and, and I believe this, but yet, but yet we're, we're weak, we're wimps. We struggle sharing the gospel and we're, there's no passion in our life about reaching people and leading people to Christ. Well, you know, I'm just gonna live for God. That's what, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live for God. Listen, part of living for God is telling others about him. Well, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, go to church and raise my family. And hey, listen, we need to be passionate and bold about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we're not, it confuses people. If you really believe that, then listen, if you really believe that, then you would make sure it's a priority in your life to share with others. We see great confusion in their day between the religious leaders and people struggled over this. And so they doubted, well, is this the Christ? And they even asked the question, do these religious leaders, do they believe it is the Christ because, because they're not killing him? Is it, do they know something that we don't know? There's great confusion. The, the second thing I want you to see in our passage is the problem of complacency. The problem of complacency. Verse 27, notice says, how be it, we know this man whence he is but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Look at verse number 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, he says, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. We see here complacency because... These people were familiar with, with Jesus. Hey, they knew him. They, they knew where he lived. They knew where he ministered. They, they knew where he came from. And they said, well, there's no way that the, the, when the Messiah comes that we're going we're gonna to know him like we know this man. We know his parents. We saw where he, he grew up. And now they had their opinions about Jesus as a man, but they truly did not know him. But there was this complacency because they were familiar with him. You see, they did not understand who Jesus truly is. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to get complacent. We hear the preaching week in and week out. We, we, we're around other people that love God and, and love Jesus. We've grown up in it in our homes and, and, and on a daily basis. Maybe we went to a Christian school or a Christian college and, and, and it's something that we hear over and over and over again and it's, and it's kind of just, you know, it's just old hat to us. And we become complacent. 
Can I remind you today, just for a moment, who Jesus is? The truths that we learn about Christ in the Bible, the truths that God shares with us and that we've experienced in our own lives, if we're believers today, should cause us never to be complacent. Think about it for just a moment. He is the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 that will crush Satan. He is the Passover lamb that died for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John looks up and he says, Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I don't want you to miss this. Turn over with me to Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 53. And please, if you know this passage, don't be complacent about it. I want you to come with your heart open, your eyes open, your mind open, as we read Isaiah chapter 53. And what, a, what an amazing picture of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shares is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. Was he stricken? And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. And shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. As you read through the pages of the New Testament scriptures concerning the life of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 53 plays out. 
when we see all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. My friend, don't be complacent about who Jesus is. When we read about Christ and the salvation that we have in him and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary, that should not cause us to be complacent, but it should cause us to glorify God. That should not cause us to be complacent, but it should push us to tell others about who Jesus Christ is. One of the big struggles in our society today is, who is Jesus? Many struggle because the church is complacent. It's no big deal. It's no big deal that Jesus died for my sin. My friend, it is a big deal. Because without Christ dying for your sin and about, without salvation by grace through faith, you're dead in your trespasses and sins and on your way to hell. If it wasn't for Christ, your eternity was to be separated from God forever and eternal punishment in hell. We should never get over that truth. We should never be complacent about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were complacent. They knew, they knew this man. Hey, we know him. I mean, and really, would God really bring a prophet out of, out of Galilee? There's no way that somebody that lived in Galilee and, and that had the friends that he had and the background that he had and, and the home that he grew up in, there's no way that, that this would be the Christ, this would be the Messiah. We, we know who he is. But I want you to see number three in this passage, the confirmation. The confirmation. Verse 28 then cried Jesus in the temple as he, as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, he will do more miracles than these, or excuse me, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Verse 32, the Pharisees heard all that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go to the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said? Ye shall seek me and ye shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, and so we come to the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and Jesus says to them, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. We see the confirmation here as Jesus stands up and preaches. First of all, many believed. They, they knew the scriptures. They were honest about the, the truth of the Old Testament. And, and, and they, they knew that the Messiah was going to come. And then they saw the works of Jesus. And they said, there's no one else 
There's nobody else that can do what this man did. There's no doubt he is sent from God. And we have understood that this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And so they heard the teaching. They saw the works of Christ. And so that was one confirmation. The second confirmation we see is that the Spirit will come. Jesus will be crucified. He'll be placed in that tomb. He'll rise again. And ultimately, he will ascend to the Father, and he will send his Spirit to dwell within those that receive him as Savior. And so the great confirmation is the Spirit of God came. You notice here the Bible tells us that the Spirit had not yet come because Christ had not been glorified. If we go over to Acts chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus Christ descends, and in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to dwell within those that receive Christ as their Savior. This is what Jesus promised in John 14, verse 16, when he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul teaches on this when he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, But as God is true... Our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And he goes on to say this in verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ... And hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Israel was looking for their Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. They were looking for the anointed one. If you go back to the Old Testament and you begin to read in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, and so on and so forth, throughout the Old Testament Bible, and you're honest about what you read, it all points to Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus Christ being the Messiah. Prophecy after prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was born, lived, died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. But as you read through the New Testament and you see the writings of Scripture, and they all point back to Jesus Christ. But the greatest confirmation that Jesus is who he says he is was the fact that he taught, when I leave, my Father is going to send the Spirit of God. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible is very clear that the Spirit of God dwells within us, and we become the temple of God. The greatest confirmation is the ministry of the Spirit of God in our life. Who is Jesus? He is God that took on the form of man to die on the cross for our sins. He was bruised, or excuse me, he was buried. He rose again and ascended to the Father. He sent the Spirit of God to convict, to guide, to teach, and to comfort. He is the Savior. And without him, 
is no salvation. My friend, don't be confused. Without Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life. Life is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be complacent. You've heard the message over and over and over again. Listen, there's no greater news. How many of you have watched a movie maybe more than 10 times? How many of you, there's a certain movie, you just love it, right? Maybe it's a Christmas movie, you watch it every year. There's just those movies when you're scrolling through the channels and it's on, you just stop right there, right? And you just watch it over and over again. You can quote the lines and all that stuff and you laugh at the same jokes, even though you could probably tell the jokes, but yet you still laugh, you still laugh at those jokes and you can never get enough. That's a weak illustration of what it should be like for our relationship with Christ. We should never be complacent. We should never tune out the truth. We should never stop listening because we know what the passage says or we know what the preacher is going to say. Listen, if you're truly saved today and you love God and and you want to, to know him more, we should be yearning to learn truth. We should be learn, yearning to talk about Christ and to learn about him more and more and, and discuss his teaching and how he blessed us. And, and, and listen, it should be, permeate every aspect of our life. Listen, don't be complacent with the truth. There's no greater truth. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the great confirmation is God sent his Spirit. And that came true based on the prophecy of of Jesus Christ. And today we're the the temple of God. And God gives us his spirit to give us power to live through this life and to endure and to have strength. And he teaches us and he guides us and he helps us in our life. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, we should live like this is true and like we believe it. Hey, listen, in my heart and life, there's no question. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He, based on his word, saved me from my sin and gave me eternal life. There's no question. And listen, I'm as excited today about my relationship with God as I was in 1995 when I first accepted Christ as my Savior. We should never get over what God has done for us and who he is in our life. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, my friend, the greatest thing I could tell you today is Jesus died for your sin. And I hope today you'll trust him as your savior. Don't leave this place without knowing Christ as your savior. And then for those of us that are Christians, let's get out there and live like, listen, Jesus Christ is our savior and he died for the sins of the world. And let's live our life to glorify and honor him and tell the world about the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Do you believe that he's the savior of the world? Then trust him. Who is Jesus? Do you believe that he's the savior of the world? Then live like it.